Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Memphis to speak with Mark King of Locked On Grizzlies about the surprising Memphis team who is right up the top of the Western Conference standings. We'll go to Cleveland to speak with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs about uh, Cleveland and uh, the Cavaliers reeling off two straight victories over playoff teams. And lastly, we'll go to Orlando to speak with Philip Rossman-Reich about a Magic team just fresh off sweeping the season series against the LA Lakers who find themselves with a 500 record and in the playoff picture. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd, the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. We are a quarter of the way through the NBA season. Some things are shaking out as expected, others not quite so much with some surprise teams in both conferences. We're going to touch on a couple of those today, so uh, let's get to it. Now we bring in the host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast, the new host, and uh, it is Mark King. And Mark, you've uh, you've brought some—I uh, don't know if "good fortunes" the right word, but definitely the the Grizzlies are looking a lot better than many people uh, many people anticipated. And it has uh, very coincidentally timed in with you taking over the role as host of the Locked On Grizzlies. How uh, how special has has this run been to begin the season? No, it's been fun. Uh, we were, you know, when we covered the Grizzlies last year, it was. Uh, it was a down year. Uh, we only won 20 games. So it was a, it was a long year. A lot of, lot of uh, dreaded games. But uh, this year is, we came in the year and it was, it was a bit of uh, unknowns. Uh, first year coach and JB Bickerstaff, you know, they had a lot of turnover on the roster. They had only had six players that were on the roster that actively played last year to come back for this year. So a lot of unknowns. Um, and I think even in the first week of that season. You had a lot of unknowns there as well because you didn't really know what you were going to get. Um, but as the weeks have gone on, we know um, what's consistent is their defense. And we know what we're going to get every night with their defense and the ability to play uh, a lot of teams, top teams, uh, really, really well defensively. Uh, you know, their offense is, is hit and miss, but we know consistently uh, the defense is going to be well. And it's been it's been fun. It's always fun to cover a team that, that's winning and, and playing well and um, a lot of these games have just been fun to watch. As the time of, of us recording here, the Grizzlies are currently sitting in second place in the Western Conference with a record of 12-6. and six. There is a game going on, uh, will be going on, and probably by the time you listen to this will have been completed against the against the New York Knicks. Prior to their last their last game, the Grizzlies had won five in a row. They just uh, recently lost to the Clippers in that overtime game. And, and you're right about the, the defense, Mark. They are, according to basketball reference, they've got the third best defense in the NBA, and that's fueled by an ability to create turnovers. They're creating turnovers at, a, at the high highest rate in the NBA, and that is uh, based on turnover percentage, so not uh, not even just due to the fact that they play at that, that different pace. They are really aggressive at going after uh, going after steals. And that's is, is that something, do you think, that, that is uh, sustainable, this you know, extremely high turnover rate that they, are, that they are using to their advantage to have this you know, top defense and win these games? Yeah, I think it's sustainable. I mean, you look at the defense and the way they play, uh, they have a lot of players that are very, very long, 
length-wise out there in the starting lineup and Garrett Temple, Kyle Anderson, Marcus Ong. Um, you know, so the, I think it's sustainable. And the way they play defense, the way they switch defenses, um, a lot of times that's really uh, – I've kind of talked with Garrett Temple about this extensively, but a lot of, that, a lot of those times they're deciding on the floor – between Marcus Gasol and Garrett Temple, or Kyle and Kyle and Garrett, how they switch the defenses and whether what they see on the floor might work well, and they take that back to the huddle and, and tell the coaches, and, and the coaches really just go along with you know, a lot of times what they're seeing on the floor. So you have a lot of really really smart basketball players that are constantly talking about how to get better. You know, if they do something wrong, they're not going out there and complaining to each other that they made the mistake. They're trying to figure out you know, how to get better from that mistake. So there are a lot of, lot of really smart basketball players that really, really want to be good at defense. So I think the defense is sustainable because the way they play it, they filter, um, they filter uh, offenses into spots. And so what that means, they are actually running those guys off the three-point lines to certain, to certain areas where they know and they can guess where they're going to pass the ball across the court. Um, and several players will know that ball is going to be there and they can try to, you know, they can get the steal from there. So they're forcing offenses in, in the areas on the court. They know they can, uh, they're turnover, turnover prone in those areas. So I think it's definitely sustainable with those, with those facets in the game. Now, last season, we know that they were without Mike Conley, and that was a huge reason for their downfall as they were you know, rotating guys like Andrew Harrison through that point guard position. Conley's back. He's playing fantastically. There was some doubt, I guess, as to whether he'd be able to get back to that level. But I think what is really important and perhaps overlooked with this Grizzlies team, you know, there's Conley and there's Gasol. We know about those guys, but they brought in three new starters this season. Uh, Garrett Temple, who's holding his own at shooting guard. But to me, it's the it's the play of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson, especially defensively. These are guys who are excelling with what they're doing defensively. It took a little bit of time for Kyle to settle in uh, coming off the bench those first couple of games, but he looks a different player at the moment. And Jackson's ability it has to be really impressive to see. And the Grizzlies haven't had the greatest success with uh, with rookies coming in over the last five, six years, perhaps. But Jackson has, uh, I guess, exceeded a lot of expectations in Memphis. Yeah, it's been fun to watch Jackson Jr. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, when they drafted him, I wasn't, I definitely didn't like, did not, it's not that I didn't like the pick. It's just I did. I thought it was. I thought they made the right choice in the right situation. I want. I want to look at Doncic, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But seeing uh, Jalen Jackson come, Jalen Jackson here come in and just uh, be really, really good uh, in terms of rookies right away. Um, and not only his defense, his offense is something that has surprised a lot of us. Um, his ability to get from the perimeter all the way to the bucket uh, is really, really impressive. And his ability to uh, use the glass. And bank shots in from just a crazy amount of angles is the thing that I still, when I see it on the floor, I just I still can't comprehend it. But Jim Jackson Jr. is a special, special rookie. I don't, and the coaching staff says it, you know, it's clear that I don't think even he knows how good he is. And when he realizes that he can have the ability to score on anybody or take a lot of bigger players off the dribble from the th- from three point line all the way to the all the way to uh, to the rim. Uh, that's going to change things. A couple, couple of that with his defense, uh, something, something that is already good because of his length, his athleticism, and he, he is a, just a something that's underrated about Jaron is that he is a really smart basketball player. It's something that goes along with this entire Grizzlies team. High IQ basketball players, something they've tried, really, really tried to build this year, and Jaron fits that mold really, you know, right away. You see a lot of things he does in the post. The passing in the post, the things he a lot of times, sometimes, times you know, result on turnovers. But 
uh, just really smart things. You know, you, you see the thought is there trying to do these little pocket passes. Um, so Jan's been, been really, really fun to watch this year. It's something uh, special I think he'll continue to grow with. It's uh yeah we talk about yeah how well he has played in the defense in the uh, in the NBA in terms of defensive box score plus minus the Grizzlies have got three players in the top nine in the entire NBA with Anderson coming in sixth Jackson coming in eighth and Marcus Sol coming in ninth so yeah pretty impressive stuff to see these guys not only as rookies like Jackson is but players in new surroundings like Kyle Anderson and like Garrett Temple fitting in so well with the established established heart and soul of the Grizzlies team and that is of course Marcus Sol and. Mike Conley. Um, are people in Memphis, are they getting back behind this team now? Oh, 100%. I'm not sure that, I'm not sure everybody even left. You know, Memphis is a basketball city. It's something that uh, people don't take for, you know, they take for granted when they're here. That, you know, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of things going on in Memphis sports-wise. There's, there's no other professional franchise besides the Grizzlies. Uh, the University of Memphis Tigers are here, but Memphis is a basketball city through and through. Um, and so I'm not sure everybody left, but people... Uh, people generally, I mean, everywhere you go, people love winning. Um, and the way they're playing, people, they, they come out in droves uh, to watch this game. I think last week on a random Monday or Tuesday night, there were 16,000, 17,000 people in the arena. So um, the, the people, are, I think, have always really been behind this team, um, but even more so now. And obviously, watching basketball helps. You know, winning helps for sure. Um, and so people are definitely coming out to watch the team uh, for sure. It, it definitely uh, helps whenever you have, you know, have four or five wins in a row. Um, the loss against the Clippers, as you mentioned, on Friday. Uh, and that loss came to the hands of no Mike Conley. Uh, someone who fouled out has only done it 10 times in his career. Last time Mike Conley fouled out of a game was five years ago. And so that happened on Friday, and, uh, and the Clippers were able to narrowly pull that out. And so, um, you know, you, think, you do things like that, and could have been six in a row. But, you know, when, when you win five in a row, it's definitely easy to, um, to reach for a team like that. Yeah, it is. It is going to be interesting, Mark. You are on the way to cover this game for the for Locked On Grizzlies uh, and uh, uh, against the Knicks, so everyone can hear the recap over on Locked On Grizzlies. Go and check it out. And uh, and Mark, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA, and best of luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. The Locked On Podcast Network is doing unprecedented things on both Twitter and on Instagram. Make sure you're following our handles, Locked On NBA Net, on both of those social media networks. On Locked On uh, NBA Net on Twitter, all of the hosts of the Locked On Podcast Network are conglomerated into one feed, so you get all the latest breaking news, injury reports, uh, trends, all that stuff from the hosts following those specific teams. Then on Instagram, we are giving you the biggest stories of the day broken down into the one-minute story on Instagram stories and our larger stories on the uh, regular Instagram. Feed. So go follow us both locked on NBA net on Twitter and on Instagram. Now we go to Cleveland to speak with the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast. The Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that uh, has struggled for the majority of this season. But uh, we're here to talk with Chris Manning about this team who has uh, rallied and uh, won the last two games against the Philadelphia 76ers and the Houston Rockets. Chris, what is, what's happened? What's the change? The, the Cavs not only winning two in a row, but against uh, two pretty good teams. Yeah, they've been playing, I think, with more effort, um, more kind of discipline of late. I think this is a team, obviously, that if you just look at their roster, they're, they're ravaged. Avengers, Kevin Love's out. Sam Decker's out. Um, they're, they're not getting – George Hill's out as well. I mean, they're not getting consistent minutes from guys you would expect to really carry them, and specifically with Love and Hill. Um, but I, I think you look what Larry Drew's kind of done. He's, he's made the most of the situation. And he has this group of guys playing really hard. Um, Colin Sexton's been really, really good, especially against the Rockets. He was just outstanding. and. Um, I think you're getting Tristan Thompson continues to play really, really well. So I think you're just getting guys, catch, you're catching teams sort of on bad nights, I think, for one. 
but I think they're also just playing really hard. They're playing a little bit more disciplined. Um, they're just kind of making the most about what they are. This is not a particularly modern team, but they've kind of just been good at what they're capable of being good at, and they're just trying to kind of make that work right now. And I think it's it's not a sustainable formula, but it's worked for them against Philly and, and Houston. I've been pretty critical of Larry Drew and the way that he's handled the Larry Nance minutes and the Tristan Thompson minutes, but it's hard to argue with how well Thompson has played, especially you know, being a real force on the offensive and defensive glass as well. He's sort of not necessarily resurrected his career, but been a real valuable piece. But for this team, who, again, winning these last two games, it's been a positive. But yeah, over the course of the season, they're not going to be competing for a playoff spot, most likely. So yeah, what what, does, what is Thompson on this team? Is he going to continue playing this starting role, playing 32, 33 minutes a night, and having Nance really restricted to being a backup center when the Cavs, the noise from them in the offseason was, yeah, Nance is a key part of our future. How is that dynamic going to work out? There's no getting around the fact that Tristan Thompson has been not just the best player in the Cavs season, but in this context of this conversation, he's just outplayed Larry Nance. Um, he's you know, right. Zach Lowe had this really interesting statistic about Tristan. He's averaging, um, he's rebounded 19.2% of the Cavs misses. That is on pace for the seventh highest single season offensive rebounding rate ever and the highest since 1998. He's just been absurd on the offensive glass. Um, that's historically good. And you don't know if keep that up, but he's he's been healthy. He's been just kind of good at everything he's supposed to be really good at. And the other thing that I think has been great about Tristan is he's been the guy that's really led the team. George Hill's done some of this. Kevin Love was doing this before he got hurt. But Tristan's the guy on the court directing people to go where to go. He's pumping guys up. He's he's holding everyone accountable in a way that no one else was. And I, that's just something that cannot be replaced. Um, there's something we need to see if he can keep this up. But I think he should be the starter moving forward. Um, I think he's been the guy. Who, and he's just been flat out better than Nance. Um, and, look, they've played okay together, actually. But it, it, is, it is just functionally true that Larry Nance is going to have his minutes crunch a bit more than I think we would have expected because of just how good Tristan's been. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. You know, I, I was critical of of that move, but you can't deny how well Thompson has played, and his ability to keep possessions alive on the offensive glass has been massive for this team. Now, the other guy it, who is oh, go ahead, and Larry and Larry Drew's just to, just to think about him for a second. He, I just don't think that he has had many good options. I think this is a guy that just you look at the roster, it's lacking threes and fours, it's lacking wings. I, I think he's just a guy right now that is just basically trying to find anything that works. And just had to throw stuff out there, and it's it's not a it's not easy coaching a roster that is just so lacking. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. There is holes all over this roster, but I guess a bright spot we have to talk about here is uh, Colin Sexton moving into the starting lineup with the George Hill shoulder injury. I would expect that he probably won't give that spot back up when Hill returns. And over the last six games, including those two victories, Sexton's been scoring at a really really high rate, over twenty points per game over those last six games. But Chris, I think we do have to you know, case that with the the uh, the information that he's shooting fifty four percent from three during that time and fifty one percent from the field overall. Is this? It's an unsustainable hot streak, I believe, in his shooting. But how is he? How is he doing this? Is he getting to the rim at will? Are there just a lot of mid ranges going down in this? You know, little run that Sexton's putting up. You know, how much of it can we take? Of oh, this is you know a real positive, or is there a huge element of luck involved? I think with Sexton, he's been really good since he got thrown into the starting lineup against the Thunder like two weeks ago. Now um, he's been more aggressive. He's been more locked in, and he got he to, for context. He came into the starting lineup after he played the fewest minutes of the season in a loss against the Magic. So uh, he's just really kind of responded to this really well. I think you look at how he's scoring, it's a bit concerning. I mean, he's making mid-range jump shots more than anything. The team as a whole, that's sort of what they do. And teams, if you just look at the, the Rockets game, they're just going to give him that three. Um, he's shooting the three well. I, Formith, to me, isn't 
look like it's going to stay. And I think he's going to have some rough moments, but he's got that. He's been more aggressive getting to the hole. He's, he's just doing some of the things that he was really struggling with early on better. And it's really ever since he's been a starter, ever since he's subbed in for the injured George Hill, um, he's just been, he's done everything Cavs could have asked and he just keeps hitting new levels. Hit keeps doing things at least as a score in a really good way. Um, and that's, that's a big positive for him considering how he just was kind of average to start the year, if not below average. And, and I think at this point, he's at the very least, even if he continues to struggle, even if the certain parts of his game do regress, as I would expect they would, just because he's a rookie and it's the NBA, uh, he should be starting the rest of the year, um, unless he gets hurt. I, I think George Hill will have a role in this team as long as he's on the team, but I don't think you can go back to starting George Hill at this point. And for Con Sexton, like that, that's what, that was the opportunity he was given, and I, and I think he smashed it out of the park. I agree with that. I think he will remain starting. But just to touch on those mid-range shots that you mentioned, according to Clean the Glass, he's in the 100th percentile in terms of percentage shots taken in the mid-range, 100 percentile in the long mid-range shots as well, which um, he's got at 92, uh, 92 field goal attempts in that long mid-range area. That's 44% of his overall shot attempts at, as, a, as a long two, which is, of course, not sustainable. He's hitting those shots at, uh, at 43%, which isn't right at the top of the percentile in that area but the fact that he's taking so many there and he's finishing so poorly at the rim in the 20th percentile 52 percent finishing at the rim leads leads you to believe there will be a big regression and he's and in terms of taking threes he's in the second percentile in terms of attempting threes so as you mentioned this team is not running modern nba offenses and sexton is really buying into that let's take uh, let's take mid-range twos no threes and not get to the rim and not be able to finish there so a drop-off is coming but it has been encouraging for him what have you made in terms of him as a as as a I don't I don't like the term true point guard, but his ability to distribute and get his teammates involved has that been improving or is he still lacking there? He's lacking, but it is getting better. He's getting a bit more comfortable with it. Um, his role, his vision reading the pick and roll isn't quite there um, as you would expect, and he doesn't quite he doesn't quite know sometimes they when to um, make the right pass or, or kind of read the defense in sort of the in a, in a way that is functional, but he also is a guy who is starting to make some of the simpler passes more and he's not forcing things. Um, I, you know, it, it wasn't too long ago. I'm going to double check this, but he was, he was the last time I checked averaging more turnovers per game than assists. I want to say that is not the case anymore, but he's someone that was just very turnover prone, uh, struggling to kind of read the offense and wasn't really doing, he was really relying on guys. And that that's just the thing where this team, I think really does miss Kevin Love. Um, he's actually averaging more assists and turnovers now for the year, but which is which is good. It means he's doing better of late. But he's really going to think benefit from getting Kevin Love back because some of the pressure for him to do all of this will really go away because he's not going to be just kind of doing it all on his own. And getting George Hill, I think, will, will help too. And, and and if that also means he plays less with Jordan Clarkson, that's another good thing. The the schedule coming up is not all that kind to Cleveland, so it is a positive they've won their two in a row, but their five of their next six games come against playoff teams from last season, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Warriors in their next six games with a game against the Nets matched in there, so it could be back into some of those struggle uh, zones as they push themselves back. They've leapt off the bottom of the Eastern Conference at the moment. They currently sit uh, 14th, although the Hawks did win today, so that might change that uh, that around, so there could be some uh, some grimmer times coming, but it's a, it's a lot of positive. Positivity with Thompson playing this well, with Sexton really improving, and uh, and Chetty Osman back from his back injury and showing a few flashes as well. So there are some positives there for Cavs fans. And if you want to hear all about how the rest of the season goes, how these young players develop, Chris will have all that for you on Locked On Cavaliers. Chris, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. Yeah, thanks, Josh. 
Is your company looking for a new way to reach customers? Your company could be mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsors that they hear on their podcasts. Our demographic is 98% male, higher educated, and higher earning than your traditional media audiences. Have your company sponsor this podcast by emailing me at redrockfantasybasketball at gmail.com. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, Philip Rossman Reich. The Magic, a team that is surprising quite a few people at the moment. They currently sit in the number six slot in the Eastern Conference, uh, winning today against the Los Angeles Lakers to uh, clean sweep LeBron James's new team. Philip, what's going on with this Magic team? Are we uh, looking at a team who has you know, started to really mold together under Steve Clifford? And uh, do you think at this early stage, the playoffs are a real possibility? Yeah, it certainly feels like they're they're beginning to buy into what Steve Clifford is teaching and 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 you know maybe even buying in in a way that previous iterations of this team haven't before. I mean, it, it you know it, it's 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 easy to say and and I would still kind of say to to hold off on the playoff dreams quite yet because we've seen this story from the Magic before. New coach comes in, uh they they buy in initially and then they hit that rut that they can't get over. You'll recall uh, two years ago or three years ago now, Scott 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 Skiles was the head coach. The Magic were 19 and 13. They were in fourth place actually in the Eastern Conference in January and then won only two games in January and fell completely apart. Last year, of course, they were eight and four. Uh, were the talk of the league once again. I think that was the last time I was on your show actually, <laughs> and and uh, fell again completely apart. Uh, the question with this Magic team is not necessarily about can they play at a high level. It's can they play at a high level night to night to night, and, and when things go wrong, can they respond? I think the good news coming out of the Magic camp so far is it seems like they're not kind of giving up. They're not capitulating when things get tough. Um, yes, they beat the Lakers on Sunday night, but what was probably more impressive was they did it after they got completely outworked and outhustled on Friday night in Denver against a team that – that really just attacked them physically and, and they never really responded. They responded after falling behind uh, on Sunday. And so the question with this Magic team remains, when they get punched, are they going to punch back? And so far, those results seem okay. Prior to their two-point loss against the Raptors last week, they had won four out of five. Um, and then they lost the two in a row against the, against the Magic and the Nuggets and then yeah, backed it up with uh, that win on Sunday against the Lakers. What's the, what's the major difference here in terms of you know, play style between the, the Clifford Orlando Magic and the Vogel Orlando Magic from last season? You know, I think a big difference is, is A, defensive attention to detail. Um, the Magic are seem much more focused and attentive to what they're trying to do defensively. I, I know a big sticking point for a lot of Magic fans and a lot, a, a lot of discussion around this player is that Nikola Vucevic just has never been a top-level defender. And, and he's not a top-level defender, but he's turned himself into at least a passable defender where – He's defending pick and rolls really, really effectively, and that's accentuated his offensive game, and it's made the whole Magic team a whole lot better. The other big part, the other big difference is I think the Magic have finally kind of said, we're going to run our offense through Nikola Vucevic. We know that you know maybe outside of Nikola Jokic and Marcus Gasol, Nikola Vucevic might be one of the might be the third or fourth best passing big man in the entire league, and the Magic have never really played through him in the high post or in the low post as, as a passer as much as a scorer. And his assist numbers are obviously up. He, he's had a triple-double already this year. I think he's averaging a career-high in assists. He had seven assists in the game against the Lakers. Um, the ball is moving a lot crisper and a lot cl- cleaner for the Magic. There, there's a lot more off-ball movement. I think I read a stat where the, the Magic lead the league in miles traveled in a game. 
um, which you know maybe doesn't say what you think it says, but it, it, there is certainly a lot more ball off ball movement, a lot more cutting in this Magic offense, and and that's helped them get over some of their offensive in, uh, deficiencies. Speaking of Vucevic, who's been impressive and probably at this point has got himself really in the discussion for an all-star berth in the Eastern Conference with how he's been playing. We know that he is going to be an upcoming unrestricted free agent. And the prevailing thought was that he was almost a lock to get traded with the drafting of, of Muhammad Bamba. It was it felt like it was only a matter of time before Bamba took over. But Clifford notoriously has a real, real issue with playing rookies big minutes. Um, and we're seeing that with Bamba now that's playing just that really just locked in as that backup center and nothing more. Do you think that with the way that Vucevic has started the season and the way the Magic have started the season in this playoff mix, do you think that that makes the likelihood of a Vucevic trade, is it more likely or is it less likely now? You know, I, I think it's less likely now. Um, you know, this ma- as long as the Magic are in contention or in contention of the playoffs, they're not going to do anything to actively hurt that contention. They're not going to, you know, say, you're not, they're not going sacri- to sacrifice the long term to, to, to make a short term game. So they're not going to maybe trade off uh, a young player or a draft pick just to get the eight seed. That's not their goal. But if they're in contention for the eight seed or for a playoff spot come the trade deadline and there's no deal that makes them better in the present and the future, they're going to hold on to Nikola Vucevic or they're going to hold on to whatever player that 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 may, might be. Um, Nikola Vucevic has been at the center of the Magic success relative as it is. Um, he's been at the center of the success for this team. He's been a key, key part of this group. And frankly, Mo Bamba looks like a rookie. Um, he, he's still coming to understand the speed of the game and, and what he has to do as a center. And it's it's clear watching him, the talent that he has and the potential that he has, but he's not there yet. And, and Orlando is certainly a team that's been out of the playoffs now for six years. If they have a chance to make the playoffs, they're not going to, they're probably not going to go about ruining it just to, just to kind of, give Bamba that, that opportunity if he's not ready for it. If Bamba's ready for it, maybe that changes. But, you know, Nikola Vucevic is playing at an all-star level. The Magic aren't about to give that up so easily. You mentioned earlier that the offense is running more through Vucevic. Do you think that that is a, and it's something that Magic were criticized pretty heavily for in the offseason, you're not acquiring a point guard or making any real inroads to strengthen that position. Do you think that the, I guess the lack of movement on that point guard front in the offseason was because they, they had that thought that, well, we're going to let Vooch run this in a Nikola Jokic-style offense, or is that just something that's evolved through necessity where they've said, well, you know, let's see how it goes, and then they've gone, oh, okay, well, now Vucevic can actually do this stuff, so let's move this way. So I guess what I'm asking is, is this a pre-planned idea or something that's evolved uh, with the lack of playmaking from that point guard position? You know, I think it's something that's evolved be- evolved because of the lack of play- playmaking. I mean, I-, I think, you know, obviously, I think they knew Vucevic was one of their best players. Steve Clifford has spoken extremely highly of him, uh, you know, as far as his offensive skill and always mentions his offensive skill more than his defensive skill. But, you know, I think the Magic, when they looked at their point guard position, they didn't see many better, op- many better options to them, at least, uh, or guys that would more significantly move the needle both for the short term and the long term because this is still a team that's rebuilding. I mean, as, as nice as the 10 and 10 record is, this is still a team that's that's centered around a 23-year-old Aaron Gordon, a 21-year-old Jonathan Isaac, and a 19, 20-year-old Mo Bamba. Um, I, th- I think most Magic fans would, would, and I think most NBA observers would agree, that is the eventual future the Magic are heading toward. So if they didn't find anything that moved the needle – DJ Augustin's been a perfectly acceptable point guard. Yeah, he's probably more ideal as a backup in the long run, but you know, you look at his numbers, 10.4 points per game, shooting 44% from beyond the arc, uh, 5.3 assists per game, just 1.1 turnovers per game. 
That, you know, is that going to help you win a championship? Probably not. But is that going to keep the boat steady? Absolutely. And I, so I think the Magic do, doing what they've done at the point guard position was more just saying, you know, we're comfortable with what we have as far as what we need to accomplish this season. And certainly Vucevic expanding his game as a passer and kind of discovering how to run their offense through him a lot more has been an added bonus of it. It's been uh, really interesting to see how some of these guys who are yeah, maligned like Vucevic are able to take their game to new levels this season, and that's been a key factor in the Magic's success. So we'll check in on the Orlando Magic as the season goes on and the playoff positions become a little bit clearer. Philip, thank you for joining us here on Locked On NBA. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on as always. That wraps up another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and the network at Locked On NBA Net. And if you could give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it would be fantastic. Subscribe there, subscribe Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify as well. Wherever you do that, it helps the show. And tell your friends, tell them in real life, share it on social media also. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.